Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Good morning, Cape Cod Church. It is good to be here with you this morning. And uh, if this is your first time here with us, I am not always up here on stage preaching, but Pastor Ben and Tammy, my mom and my dad, are away on vacation for two weeks for a much-deserved break, which we're very happy about. Very happy for them. And uh, they are actually, they spent the first half doing a little bit of a road trip in Northern California. They went to the Redwood Forest. They have some pretty cool pictures from that. And then the second half of their trip, they're doing an Alaskan cruise. It's actually hosted by uh, a Christian nonprofit organization called Convoy of Hope. Um, So each day they're going to hear a little bit more about that organization and the good work that they're doing. So I know they're going to come back with lots of great stories. And in the meantime, I have the privilege of being here with you. I am holding down the fort here and also at home and I just gotta say like I am exhausted (laughs) they make it look easy it's not easy yesterday I I was trying to like do good like my mom does and hold down the fort and she puts out fresh flowers on the table all the time so like all right I'm gonna pick myself some flowers so I go outside to our yard cut some flowers put them in the table is covered in beetles and earwigs What is that? Uh, Nobody warned us about that. So anyways, the flowers went right out the front door and we're not doing flowers anymore. At this point, I'm just like hoping that we can keep the house, the dog, and the garden alive by the time they get home. That's my new standard. And um, honestly, I don't know if the vegetables are gonna make it, but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, Have you ever been exhausted? And I don't mean just like tired, Physically, I mean like soul tired, like deep, deep down at your core, just wiped. A kind of exhaustion that a good night's rest will not help you recover from. You're just tired. You've been running the race of life and it feels like life has been running you totally ragged. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah. I think a lot of us, if even if you're not there right now, can probably relate to that. And if you're here this morning and that's you, or it's been you, I'm really glad that you're here. Because today we continue in our series on Philippians, in the series Beyond Happy. And today the Apostle Paul is going to bring us one key mindset to help us keep on running when the running is tough to endure when we're just exhausted by life. And here's the thing, one quick disclaimer I wanna give you before we get into it, because if you're there, if you're in that spot and you're like, I'm just so tired, there's a little bit of Paul in Philippians that could potentially be annoying. And this is what I mean, Paul, is so joyful in this letter. We've been talking about that for weeks now. He is excited. The words come out quick and fast, and the sentences are short. It's almost like he can't even get them out fast enough to the person that he's dictating. He is so joyful. At the same time, Paul is like in the pit. I mean, he is currently imprisoned in jail. He doesn't know if he's gonna be sentenced to die, He's lived a long life with many trials and a lot of suffering. He is old and weathered, and yet, 
despite all of that, and despite his circumstances, he doesn't sound tired at all. If anything, he sounds energized as he talks to the Philippians. And there's a little bit of that, like if you're in the bottom of the pit and you're just feeling exhausted, it could be like, okay, Paul, like, thanks a lot. It's like when you go jogging or biking with that one friend who's just a little bit too good. Do you know what I mean? For me, that's my sister. When we go jogging or when we go biking, I'm like sweating, feeling it. I am out of shape, trying my best. Meanwhile, this girl has incredible muscle tone. She's just like up the hill, breezing past me. She's not breaking a sweat. She's dancing and singing. And I'm like dying over here and wanting to take her with me. So we don't really do much jogging together anymore. There's a little bit of that, like, that's kind of what Paul feels like in this where it's like, all right, Paul, I get it. Like, you're feeling joyful, you're energized. I'm just not there. You're better than us, we get it. And it could be that, but I think it's worth leaning into because it turns out Paul is not bragging about his situation. In fact, he's not just talking about his situation. He's writing this letter as a word of encouragement to his friends in Philippi because there's evidence in the text that they were also suffering and struggling. It says they had faced some kind of opposition or struggle. They too were in a tough position. And Paul doesn't write to them to express his joy because he's stronger than them. He writes to them to offer them a word of encouragement and a piece of critical advice because he's not just stronger than you and I, he actually just has a mindset that helps him endure. And he wants to pass on that mindset to his friends who are in the bottom of the pit, who are struggling and suffering, and he wants to encourage them and to give them this one key mindset to help them endure. And you and I get to benefit from it as well. So here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the bed, from the dead. So here's Paul, so joyful. He's talking about suffering, and you could just hear it. He's like, Peppy, who does that? But earlier in chapter 3, he had just finished encouraging the Philippians about this new life that they have in Christ. We talked about this last week. We have a new way of doing life. It's no longer about just trying your best to be good enough. Instead, it's about a relationship with Jesus who's transforming us from the inside out. And this is a whole new way of doing life and a whole new perspective. Because of Jesus, we are free from all of that. pastor talked about that last week. So Paul continues that idea, and he's like, I want to get a taste of that new life. That's what I want. We have this new lease on life. I want to get a taste of it. And he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to be as much like Jesus as possible. The old me is dead like Jesus, and I want to rise from the ashes resurrected. And so with that in mind, he goes on to talk about how we can approach this new life. In verse 12, he says this. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, 
It's calling us. I love uh, the series that we're in, this lyrics series, because for many reasons, it's so much fun, and it's really cool to see, uh, particularly recently, some of our younger uh, singers up here joining us for that. But one of the things I love about the lyrics series is that, honestly, I'm like learning lyrics for the very first time. Like, about songs that I have known my entire life. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Like, last week, I learned in real time that I Will Survive is a breakup song. I had no idea. Like, I learned that at the 9 a.m. service listening to Veronica sing. I was like, oh, I never noticed any of those words. I only ever heard, I will survive on repeat. I don't know what happened to the rest of them in one ear, out the other. And this has been kind of a consistent thing for me throughout my life. I just, like, don't tune into lyrics, and I get them wrong as well. The most embarrassing, humbling experience of this for me is, you know the famous song, Come On Eileen? Some of you know it, I see some heads nodding. Famous, older song. I also thought that I knew that song, but I thought it was called Come On Annie. You know, Come On Annie. That's not how it goes. And this is so, this is so embarrassing. I was so convinced that it was called Come On Annie, that we were listening to that with a friend in the car, and I corrected her when she sang Come On Eileen. I was like, uh, it's Come On Annie, come on. And she was like, it's literally called Come On Eileen. That is the title of the song. <laughs> Fortunately, it was my best friend, so she has never let me forget that ever since, which is awesome. Uh, but today's song uh, I enjoyed listening to I've heard this song and known this song since I was in high school, but I uh, learned a lot about it this week listening to the lyrics for the first time. Actually, if you haven't heard the song before, uh, Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine. Um, it got really big in 2010. It went multi-platinum in the US and the UK. Do you have any indie music fans in the house? Not many. That's kind of the deal with indie music. That's kind of the point. That's cool. If you raise your hand, you're like extra cool. How about Guardians of the Galaxy fans? Any Guardians of the Galaxy fans? Okay, we got a couple more of that. So this song premiered in the final scene of Guardians of the Galaxy, the one that just came out. Um, but it's a song about chasing after happiness or change in circumstances. And one thing I didn't know is it uses this phrase, the dog days are over. And actually, that phrase came from this idea that when the constellation Sirius, which is the dog star, gets close to the Earth, in other words, in summertime, when it happens to be closer, it's typically a hotter time of the year. It's hot and muggy, and because of that, animals tend to get kind of sleepy and languid. That's why we call it the dog days of summer, when the dog star is close to the earth. They just get tired because of the summer heat. And that's where we get this phrase, the dog days are over. Because when Sirius, the star, when the summer ends, basically, it's like all of the animals, all the dogs, are starting to wake up, to come alive again after this sleepy, tired season. So the song goes, the dog days are over, run fast for your mother, run fast for your father, run fast. And that's kind of what Paul is saying in this passage. He's like, you were living in an old way, a different way. We have experienced new life in Christ, a new way of approaching life, like we talked about last week. And we said, there are going to be people who try and drag you back. Pastor Ben called those, remember the dogs that are dragging us back? And it's like Paul is saying, the dog days are over. The dog days are over. Now it's time to wake up. Wake up to the reality of this new life you have in Christ. It's time to taste something different. It's time to run. So he says, I press on 
to try and achieve the prize, to run the race that God has set before me. But he doesn't just encourage them, he also gives them a piece of advice on how to endure, and it's easy to miss. Did you notice what he said about perfection in these verses? He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Beautiful. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Just in case they missed it, I have not achieved perfection, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And then he ends with this little line, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. So here's Paul's big reveal. And honestly, it's a little bit of a weird one coming from a spiritual giant. He says it three times. He does not want them to miss it. He says, I am not perfect. And the implication is, you are not perfect either. He says, the new me is not fully realized. Just to be clear, I have not achieved the end goal. I am working on it, but I am not there. If you hear nothing else, he wants you to know he is not perfect and we are not either. And that's not the only thing he emphasizes. Did you notice how he starts? I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. He's talking about running the race of life, but he makes it very clear this is not a solo sport. You and I were not meant to do it alone. I want to experience the power of Christ with Christ in me. And he emphasizes it again. He emphasizes it again in verse 12. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. So not only is Paul imperfect, he also cannot run this race on his own. And then he ends with this brilliant little wordplay in verse 15. He says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Now that word that he uses, mature, is actually the same word, just translated differently, that we find in verse 12. It's a Greek word that could mean both something that was perfected or finished and something that was mature or grown. And Paul uses it in both places. He says, I am not yet perfected, but let everyone who's mature view life this way. And his implication is true maturity looks like humility. True maturity looks like knowing that you and I are not perfect. In case you missed it, we're not perfect. And if you're really mature, you will get a hold of this and view life this way. In all of this, Paul is sending a message loud and clear to the Philippians. He wants them to know that humility is the key to endurance. He's talking about running this race, this new lease on life, and time after time he says, I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. You are not either. And this is what maturity is, to recognize that humility is the key to enduring, understanding and recognizing my limitations. Paul says, if you want to run the race of life, you better realize you're not at the finish line yet. But this shouldn't surprise anyone who's been paying, paying attention so far. In fact, it's almost a little bit too obvious. It's like, Paul, we, we know we're not perfect. That's kind of the whole deal. You just finished telling us that Jesus had to die on our behalf because we were not perfect, and he's transforming us from the inside out. 
So logically, we know, yeah, we're not there yet. That's kind of the whole deal. But it is one thing to know conceptually that you and I are not perfect. It's one thing to understand humility conceptually, and it is an entirely other thing to live it out in our lives. How do I know this? Because you and I act like we are at the finish line, or we act like we're supposed to be at the finish line all the time. And Paul knows this, and that's why he reiterates it again and again and again. He's like, I know you know, but just in case you haven't figured out how to apply that to your life, how to live as if you're not perfect, let me just remind you of what the world is like. And here's how I know this, because humility, a lack of humility, pride, is sneaky. It doesn't just manifest as a denial of my faults or a rejection of help. It can also manifest as a crushing weight that I put on myself because I feel as if I must be perfect now. And it, just in case I haven't convinced you yet, here are a few litmus tests, telltale signs that you and I might struggle with humility, with accepting our limitations. Let me know if any of these sound familiar to you. You pressure yourself to get it right every time, and you can't forgive yourself when you don't. Or, on the flip side, you believe you're right every single time, and you can't admit that you're wrong. Or, you put pressure on yourself to be independent, and you can't ask for help. Or, on the flip side, you think it's always better if you do it yourself, and you won't ask for help. And last one, just in case none of those were you. You feel like you have to say yes to measure up. You can't say no. Or, on the flip side, you feel like you always have to say yes to prove yourself, and you won't say no. Do any of those sound familiar? I know they do for me. And at the core of every single one of those is a failure to recognize and embrace my limitations, a failure to recognize where I'm at in the race. I am in the middle of it. I am not yet at the end line. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that we have not yet arrived. In fact, that's the whole point of grace. And yet, we live as if that's not true all of the time, because we put the pressure on ourselves to be perfect, even when we know that Jesus is already carrying the burden of perfection. It's like we said, thank you, God. Thank you for carrying that for me. And also, okay, now let me just take it right back. Some of us know that we are saved by a savior, but we feel embarrassed that we need a savior, so we try to live as if we don't need one. We know that Jesus was perfection for us and came to save us, but we live as if we still need to like carry a little bit of it. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Don't take on the burden of perfection. He has taken it on for you. That is the whole point. Know that you and I are not perfect. And yes, sometimes that means admitting that you're wrong, admitting that you need help, but it also means being freed from the weight, the crushing weight of the pressure to perform. Jesus 
is your savior. And Paul is just reminding us, it's time to live like he's your savior. It's time to live in his grace, to take off that burden and to live like you're in the middle of the race, to embrace and recognize our limitations. And then you don't live like this. When instead, we live as if we still carry this burden, like we should be at the end line, even though we're in the middle of the race. It's exhausting. This is why so many of us are tired by life. Don't get me wrong, life is tiring and can be exhausting, but pride is the exhaustion that we create for ourselves. Some of us are trying to run the race on our own and we're making it harder for ourselves because we're not running the real race that's in front of us. When I was little, my, uh, my parents threw some of the best birthday parties. Uh, I think of them very, very fondly. When I was in elementary school and you're still like little and you want to play games, and many of you know um, that my mom is a baker. Uh, she's retired now, but she's a baker. She makes the most amazing desserts. So we always had amazing cakes when I was growing up. But many of you may not know that my dad was also the master of activities. My dad was like the master of game time at our like, birthday parties when we were little or our family gatherings. He would put it all together and he would be the master of ceremonies. We would do pinatas and he would always like, have it on a string so that he could like, fake you out during the pinata time. Unless it was your birthday and then I really think he let us just like, actually get a good hit. He would do the game where you have to like, eat the donut off the string and I always remember like, all my friends would come and it would be an amazing time. There's one game that uh, we often got to play together as a, as a team, sometimes at birthday parties or family reunions, and then also someday at like, school field days, and that was the three-legged race. Now, my dad is a good and honest man. However, <laughs> he had a strategy for the three-legged race, and this is what it is. So you, if you've never done a three-legged race, you have a partner, and you have to tie your legs together. So my dad and I would be tying together, and he would always tie it like just a little bit loose, you know what I mean? Like as long as nobody's checking, you tie it a little bit loose. And then he would look down at me and he'd go, all right, Britt, when they say go, all I need you to do is just step on my foot. He's like, and I'm gonna carry us to the finish line. They would sound the alarm and we would fly past everybody across the finish line. I was doing nothing. I was just standing there. He was dragging me across. We were running across the finish line. Jesus is looking down at us and he is saying, just hop on. I am going to carry you across that finish line and we are going to soar together because you were not meant to do this alone. This is not a solo sport, it's a team sport. And you and I were meant to do it with a much stronger, much faster team member. When we approach the race, when we approach life with a lack of humility in our pride, thinking that we have to be perfect, wearing the burden of that, trying to do it on our own, it's like us little six-year-olds huffing and puffing, trying to get to the end of the race, and Jesus is just looking like, will you please let me carry you? Hop on, we're gonna get across the finish line together. And when you do, when we take off the burden of perfection and we realize 
I'm not there yet. I'm in the middle of the race, but Jesus is gonna carry me there. It's like soaring. It's like running without growing weary. It's like being on the wings of eagles. These are the things that Jesus promises us. He says, my burden is light because I'm carrying you. And that's how I want you to approach life. And when you do, the extra exhaustion, the extra fatigue of trying to do it all on your own suddenly becomes a little bit lighter. And life isn't perfect. We still have to walk through dark seasons of suffering and fatigue and challenge. And we see that. Paul's in that spot. His friends in Philippi are in that spot. But he says, if you want to endure, if you want to get to the end of the race and look back and see how far you've come, if you want to endure, do not take on the extra exhaustion of pride. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you're exhausted by life, you may just need to hear this, because <laughs> I know I do. You are not perfect, and you don't have to be. You can't do this alone, and you don't have to do it alone. Whatever that thing is that you're facing, you don't have to do it alone. And you and I can't do everything. We can't do everything, and you don't have to do everything. God is at work in this world and in your life. He's inviting you to run the race with him, but he is running this race. He is in control and he wants to carry you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do it on your own and you don't have to do everything. You just have to do what he has put in front of you, exactly what he's called to you because he promises, I will be with you and I have the strength to do everything that I have called you to do. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I want a little bit of that. You would say like Paul, I want to experience this new life. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. If it's as good as you say, if I can fly like you say, I want a taste of that. If you're here this morning and you have never experienced that, it is a beautiful gift offered freely to each and every one of us, as crazy as that sounds, offered as a free gift. Because he loves you. And he just wants to carry you through this life to the finish line so that one day we can be made perfect, totally at rest in him. And in this life, we get to have a small taste of that. And he's inviting you to join him. So. Cape Cod Church, will you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you're here and you don't want to run the race alone anymore, I just want to invite you. God offers that as a free gift. And if there is a nudging in your heart, a small voice that's saying, come with me, I have
have a good life prepared for you. Don't wait. You do not have to run this race, exhausted and spent and alone. If that's you this morning and you would like to enter into a relationship with your God and Savior, I don't want to invite you to do that right now. There's no magic words that can make that happen. It's just a conversation. But maybe you would say something like this. God, you know me. You know everything about me. You know my failures. You know my worst moments. Even the ones that I refuse to admit. And yet, I believe that you love me because your son proved it by coming and giving everything so that I could have life. Today, I want to accept that gift. I believe that Jesus Christ came, died on my behalf, was resurrected from the dead so that he could have new life, so that I could have new life, him the first of creation, and me next. I believe that, and Father, I ask you would help me to run this race with you together to experience the full life that you'd like to offer me as a gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.